Hey, we are here in Sunday Sundays. We are talking about being a strong and courageous church. That's our theme for 2016. Uh, you should well know by now that our theme verse is Joshua chapter one, verse nine, where we're told to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified for the Lord God is with you. Wherever you go. And so in thinking about being a strong and courageous church, we are working in this series. Today is actually the last lesson in the series on being a strong church. And part of being a strong church is something that I want to tell you about that's pictured in this picture. Uh, Brenda Heller and Stephanie Nicer gave us this picture. It's uh, hanging on the home of our wall. It's a beautiful picture of live oaks. Along a road. Now you think live oaks and you're thinking, oh, just an oak tree. No, a live oak is different from a regular oak tree. You'll find them a lot on the eastern seaboard. And uh, they grow to be very tall and lovely. And as is pictured here, uh, they can uh, stand strong. And when they're planted by other live oaks, they just form a beautiful picture of God's creation. Yet, particularly along the eastern seaboard, these trees are subjected to a lot of winds and storms and hurricanes. Uh, When Brenda toured that area and she saw these beautiful live oaks in person, she asked the question, this is a very logical question, how is it that these trees can stand strong for so long after all they've been through? You see, we're from Kansas. In Kansas, wind is serious business. And if you remember a couple of years ago, around Easter Sunday, we had some straight line winds that were so strong, they literally removed trees from our property line, which was a good step. We, we could have used a few more trees so we could, were being removed so we could see the sign. But the, the, the wind does serious damage. How can these live oaks, subjected to much stronger winds, much more frequently, be able to stand so strong? And the answer Uh, lies in the difference between a normal oak tree or any other tree and a live oak tree. You see, when a live oak tree grows, the roots go down, as do all trees. But their tree, the roots of their tree, seek out other roots of other trees. And so the root system, if you could look at it underground, is very lovely and strong because it's intertwined. The, The roots are down deep, not just in the soil, but also with each other. They find their strength in the soil. They find their strength in one another. So when the winds blow and the storms come, those trees may bend, but they will not break. They will not fall because their roots are intertwined. Hopefully the lesson for you is clear. We know the storms will come. The question is, will you foolishly try to be like a Kansas, like a a A pear tree or a maple tree that just relies on its own root system. Or will you be like those wise live oaks that intertwine their roots with other trees so that they can remain strong for the storms of life? This, in one picture, in my mind, has been what Strong Church is all about. I hope that you'll take the opportunity to practice the principles. And if this series has been especially helpful to you, one or two lessons... I want you to know that you have an opportunity uh, coming up here at Northside. Elaine Denman is offering her soul care class. It's been several years since this has been offered. But this class is designed to help people learn how to uh, live out, really, the one another principles that we've been talking about in this series. You'll learn how to relate and communicate grace. You'll learn how to extend your roots 
to connect with other people. You'll learn how to relate on a deeper level. This class will be offered Saturday mornings from 9 to 12 uh, all through October. So that means there are five of them. And I would definitely encourage you to sign up for that. This series has been, we've delved into very specific topics about loving and praying, being devoted, serving one another, showing hospitality, and encouraging one another. Today, we are talking about forgiving one another. And there's just one thing I want you to remember today. This is the only thing you need to get. Uh, If you get nothing else, just remember these simple words. Forgiving is forgiving. Now, that sounds simple and cutesy and all of that, but it really does uh, express to you what I'm trying to communicate. When we think of forgiveness, most of the time, as people who have been saved by grace, we think about the forgiveness that we have received from God. But forgiveness is forgiving. It's not just about receiving. It's about what you do with it. And so I hope that this morning you can be thinking about how to extend forgiveness to other people. Uh, Forgiveness has a purpose, and its very purpose is in its name, as we said. Jesus once said, it's better to give than to receive. You'll be more blessed to give than to receive. Of course, he was talking about our monetary blessings and sharing those blessings with one another. But think about this with the perspective of forgiveness. I think you'll be more blessed, you'll grow into be more like Jesus, if you learn to give forgiveness more than you receive forgiveness. Indeed, which of those two options makes you more Christ-like? Was Jesus one who needed to receive forgiveness? No, he was one who continually gave it. So you want to be more Christ-like, you've got to think about not just how to receive his forgiveness, but how to give it And share it. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, First, forgiveness is forgiving. God gave it to you. Now, this is a very simple point, but something that we got to stop and take time to remember. That forgiveness is a beautiful gift. Something that you might open uh, on the morning of your birthday. My buddy Maxwell celebrating his 11th birthday this morning. He's like, please don't make me do anything. No, I'm not. Um, But I can guarantee you he received a gift or he will because that's what you do on birthdays. Same with Christmas. Even adults, though we kind of, you know, get older, we still get excited about a present that's all wrapped up, that's placed in our possession. Something we didn't earn, something we didn't uh, aren't worthy of, but it was just given to us as an expression of love. You see, this is what scripture says about forgiveness, that it is a gift from God. Just like those presents, he gave it to you. He gave it to you. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. We know that. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, every other religion all around the world, you have to do a certain number of things. You have to pray a certain number of prayers. You have to do a certain uh, amount of works. But in Christianity, the forgiveness of sins is a free gift of God. Not merited, not warranted, not earned, given to us because our Father loves us. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. 
But God being rich in mercy. Did you ever think about that? Your heavenly father is rich. And he is madly, deeply, and truly in love with you. But he's not just rich monetarily, although the scripture says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills too. But he's rich in something more important. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, trans- in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised up with him and seated in the heavenly, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, talking about us, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Not that anyone can boast. I can read you that scripture that you've heard. Or I can tell you a story. A story about a $10 bill. Several years ago, we took the youth group. And I said, hey, we're all going to go to lunch together. What I want you to do is bring $10 for lunch. So we got together, we all loaded in a van or vehicle or two, and we went down to the Town West Mall. We pulled in the parking lot, and as they started to unbuckle their seatbelts, I said, now guys, pulling a little youth minister jujitsu here, Mike knows what I'm talking about. I said, the truth is we are going to lunch, and you did bring $10 for lunch, but the catch is it's not your lunch. You're going to be buying someone else lunch today. Well, what do you mean? You're going to be buying someone else lunch. Who? A perfect stranger. So they walk in, looking about it like you all did, muttering under their breath as a youth minister and his stupid ideas. And they go in, and I take a seat kind of on the back edge, and I watch 10 to 15 Teenagers with 100 to $150 go and try to give grace to perfect strangers. Now, wouldn't you know that there were very many different reactions when a teenager in the mall comes up to a person standing in the line at Sabaro or Subway and says, um, I'd like to buy your lunch today. First, some, some people were just... You know, cynical. Come on, get out of here. What are you doing? Trying to sign me up for a cell phone or, you know, what are you, what are you trying to, what tricky kind? There is no such thing as a. I didn't even believe it. Some people had a number of questions. I mean, you're with a church group. What are you doing with a church group? Buying people lunch? This must be some sort of trick to get me coming to your church. I mean, what is this all about? I mean, tell me, why do you want to buy me lunch? What, who are you? Who are you with? And where's your parents and your youth minister? Some people are disbelieving. Some people are cynical. Some people outright refused it. No, I'm not going to let you buy me lunch. I am too proud. I don't need you to buy me lunch. And some people, some people just graciously said, thank you. 
Thank you for buying my lunch. It's funny how we respond to gifts that we don't earn, that we don't deserve, and that have no strings attached. Forgiveness is forgiving. And God gave you something far better than $10. My question is for those of you who this morning who have not been buried with Christ, who have not repented of your sin and, and been buried with him so that you can be washed in the precious blood, why? Why do you hesitate? What are you waiting on? It is the free gift of God that he gave to you at great expense to himself because he loves you. If you haven't done that, I pray that you'll do it. Secondly, forgiveness is forgiving. So give it to yourself. Once you have been forgiven of sin... uh, well, Colossians 2.12 says this. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all. Our trespasses, if you're following along in your Bible, just underline that word all, because we need to be reminded by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Uh, If we think of sin like a debt, then forgiveness is God paying that debt. We've talked about that before, paid in full, to tell us stop. But forgiveness, the word literally in the Greek means to give up, to keep no longer, to no longer hold it in consideration. Once God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ, you need to understand that the psalmist says your sin has been an iniquity has been buried in the depths of the sea. Elsewhere, it says your sin has been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. That when God has forgiven you and given you the gift of grace and he's forgiven you, then who are you to not Forgive yourself. Can I illustrate it to you this way? It would be like my friend Grant. Come up here, Grant. Now, Grant's a Christian, and he's, but you need to know that he's got this struggle. He's got this difficulty, this sin, this thing that he's been carrying around. And he's not going to tell the preacher, and he's not going to tell all of you, but he's just going to hold on to it. Why does he hold on to it? Sometimes he'll come to church and he might even try to hide it. And he just to pretend that it doesn't there. Or, or make sure that no one else sees it. There are some of you this morning that are sitting in the pew with this burden, this thing, this sin, this guilt, this shame that God forgave you. And if you gave it to God, then God gave it up. And if God gave it up, then you need to let it go. It is not just a bad song in a Disney movie. It is the truth 
I hate that song, but it's so true. You got to let it go. Stop carrying that burden. Lay it down. God forgave it. Jesus paid for it. Who are you to hold on to it? Stop. Lay your burden down. If God has forgiven you in Christ, in the waters of baptism, and you're walking in the light, Scripture says that you are continually washed and forgiven. Doesn't mean you don't need to repent. Doesn't mean you won't need to straighten course from time to time. But let it go. Stop holding on to these things. Please have a seat, buddy. Just... Let it go and let God forgive what he's already forgiven. Please. Next, Paul said it this way. I'm sorry, Mark wrote this in Mark 11:25. Whenever you stand praying, I never caught this before. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Now, I used to read that and I thought, well, that means all these other people. But think about it. If you look in the mirror every morning and you have something against yourself, a sin that you refuse to let go, you have not heard Mark 11.25. Mark 11.25 says if you have anything against anyone, self-included, you got to forgive it so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Don't hold on to it any longer. And if you're holding on to it this morning, I want to invite you to let it go. There are too many people who take the free gift of God. He pays their debt completely and they continue to make payments on that dumb thing. That is silly. Let it go. Let God pay it. Forgiveness is forgiving. So when God has forgiven you, you need to forgive you. Number three, forgiveness is forgiving. So you got to share it with others. Forgiveness, C.S. Lewis said, is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. I know. I know. I don't know the situation. I know you were wronged. I know it hurt you deeply. I know that it wasn't right. I know it wasn't fair. I didn't even say they're sorry. All that may be true, but it doesn't excuse you. Jesus called to forgive like he forgave you. Ephesians 4.32, Paul wrote, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness isn't just for us. It's got to go and flow through us. See, if all you're doing is receiving forgiveness and asking and begging God for forgiveness, and that is fine to do. But unless you extend that grace to other people, you are being grossly hypocritical. Now, I'm not sure what you've got to forgive. Maybe it was a big thing. I mean, maybe somebody here has a, a family member. Or they, were, they were murdered. Maybe, maybe a spouse had an affair. 
Maybe this person has been your enemy for as long as you can remember. And they've done everything just to get at you and cut you and hurt you. Maybe it's a really big thing. Maybe someone has abused you physically, verbally, sexually. Maybe it's a big thing you've got to forgive. Or maybe, maybe you're none of those things at all. Maybe it's just all the small things that you got to let go. That person who didn't return your text message, who do they think they are? I mean, really? That person who cuts you off in traffic. That person who is just chatting it up with the cashier in the, in the line. They don't know you got places to go. Listen, it's the big stuff, and maybe that, it probably does affect a few of you in here, but more likely it's all the little things that we hold on to. You've got to let that stuff go. How can you live like that? It's like God forgiving you $4.52 trillion, and you're still writing down 10 cent and 25 cent charges that everybody else owes you. You got to let that stuff go. And if you want him to give it to you, then you got to be willing to share it with other people. Forgive? What do you mean forgive? Oh, this sounds like preacher talk to me, but listen to me, young man. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they've been to. You don't have the gall. How dare you? They didn't say they were sorry. They didn't repent. They didn't come to me groveling. They just sit there. Maybe they even sit there in church and they just pretend like everything's okay. Perfect. If you've got someone who who needs your forgiveness, and the best kind of forgiveness is undeserved forgiveness because it's the most Christ-like. Turn to Luke 23 and remember the scene at Calvary. And Jesus said, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Does it say that they repented, that there was great revival there at Calvary? No, it continues this way. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him and said, he saved others. Let him save himself. Jesus died a lonely death, but he still knew those people needed forgiveness. I don't know if they ever came to Jesus, but if you have someone to forgive, and it's pre-repentance, and it's pre-them asking, and pre-them saying they're sorry, you are in the best position to be as Christ-like as possible. If Jesus waited for all of us to say we're sorry... To say we're, we're sad about all the things. You know how long he would have waited to be crucified on the cross? You've got to set somebody free. And the person you've got to set free is you. Put on then, as we heard the scripture read, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, pay attention to this, as the Lord 
forgave you. You got to let it go because he did. I think about an example of this. Ingrid Williams was a young mother of five children. She was killed tragically in a car accident. And her husband, Monty Williams, who was an assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder, said these words at her funeral. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times, and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. What a powerful example. I'm not sure I could do the same. But his example reminds me just exactly what he said is true. If we serve the Lord sincerely, then we have to have a heart of forgiveness. God bless Monty and and his words, but also his example. I hope you got the message this morning. Forgiveness is forgiving. So this morning, I just want to give you one action step. And you probably knew it was coming, but we need to get to it anyway. I want you to write down the person who you forgive. And if it helps, you can write down what they did. But don't hold on to it any longer. Let it go. You take some time, you pray over it, you fast over it, you spend some time thinking about how God has forgiven you. And then you pray for them, and you forgive them from your heart, and then some way, somehow, I'm giving you permission to dispose of that handout. Burn it, shred it, flush it, I don't care, but let it go as God let go of all of your sins. At that beautiful hill of Calvary, where He forgave His accusers, where He forgave you and I, 
long before we knew we needed forgiving. This morning, I want to call you forward. First, if you haven't accepted the gift, I don't know what you're waiting for, but I offer it to you. I don't offer it myself. I want to tell you about the gift offered for you. And I pray that you'll come with a heart that's submissive and penitent and desires to love Jesus and be faithful. And that means being baptized. If you've been baptized, but you have, even though you have been forgiven, there are some things that you have not let go. And you need the prayers and the encouragement and the love of the shepherds and this family to let it go. Then I want to ask you to come. And if you need someone that you know you need to forgive and you're struggling to do that, I pray, please, that you will not expect that you can accept God's forgiveness while denying someone else your own. Humble yourself and forgive them as Christ forgave you. Whatever your need is this morning, please come. Let it go as together we stand and sing.